Green Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Good morning and welcome to Green Left Radio on 3CR. And this morning we have got myself, Zane, and TV's Sue Bolton, Moreland Councillor, is also in the studio with us as a special guest. Uh, welcome, Sue. Hi, how's it going, Zane? Yeah, good. Um, so, before we kick off this week's show, and it's Radio Sun, which is a bit exciting... Um, it is important to acknowledge, as we like to each week, that we are coming at you from the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Uh, sovereignty was never ceded. Uh, it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And we pay our respects to uh, elders past, present and emerging and to the staunch career activists who've been stirring things up in this part of uh, so-called Australia in recent years and elsewhere across the continent and across the region. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a staunch couple of years and long may it continue more strength to your arm, Indige comrades. Uh, okay, so we have got a bunch of stuff happening this morning. If you're out there listening and you want to ring up, it's that thing we do every year, and you've probably been hearing about this on the other shows, and if you've been, if you've just been holding off, thinking about maybe ringing in, I reckon today is the day, and now is the time. What better place than here? What better time than now? Uh, the phone number is 94198377, and you can play your part in collectively keeping this radical radio station going. Going strong, staying staunch for another year. Yes. Uh, how have you been, Sue? I've been really good. And um, I'm really hoping that uh, lots of people sort of come together and help Green Left Radio and 3CR keep on going for another year. Really, really super important. Um, uh, cool. Alrighty. Now... Just a uh, just a reminder that donations to 3CR are tax deductible, so you can use it to reduce your tax liability. Did you know that each donation over two dollars you make to 3CR's Radiothon is tax deductible? That means that when you're doing your tax return business, you can claim your 3CR donation as a legitimate tax deduction. To make a pledge to this year's Radiothon, call the station on 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. 3CR Radiothon, community powered radio. 
All right. And this year, our our little part of the station-wide efforts to keep this um, radical community asset healthy and kicking is we want to raise 1100 bucks. So if you have got... Five or ten or twenty or fifty dollars over that eleven hundred dollars that we're aiming to raise, please ring in and uh, deposit it in the coin box, and that would be much uh, appreciated. Um, Two hundred dollars allows us to podcast your favourite show, so you can listen back anytime. Fifty bucks pays for one month's supply of coffee to keep our graveyard shift volleys going. And yeah, across the station, we need to raise 250 grand to keep 3CR on air. And yeah, this is the week to do it. Uh, you can also go to the website, 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. So, um, Sue, be good to get a bit of a, uh, update off you about Moreland Council things. What's What's been happening around the Moreland community lately? What are some upcoming grassroots happenings? Well, <coughs> there's two things happening at the moment. Um, one thing is a campaign in uh, Faulkner, which is in the northern part of Moreland, and the northern suburbs of Moreland are... Um, you know, much poorer part of Moreland than um, the more affluent south of, of Moreland. Um, and the council's got a plan to close down the outdoor pool in Faulkner. So a group of local um, people in the local community have banded together to form a campaign called Save the Faulkner Outdoor Pool. And um, we're organising our first event um, on the 3rd of July at 10am outside the Faulkner Pool. Um, the council's redeveloping the Faulkner Leisure Centre and they're planning all sorts of great things in the indoor pool and the gym. But then in small print, um, in words in passing, they're talking about repurposing the outdoor pool now, repurpose, what does repurpose mean to you? That sounds very exciting. <laughs> it's sort of bureaucratic speak. And I don't know turned... how many alternative uses there are for a pool, so <laughs> yes. I don't know what you would repurpose it for. It would be garden bed or something. Yeah. So, um, and this is, you know, probably a very um, high proportion of the population in Faulkner don't come from uh, English-speaking background as their first language. But even if you do come from English-speaking background, you know, most people would assume if you're redeveloping the Faulkner Leisure Centre, you'll still have a pool. And so in a sense, what the council's doing is selling and uh, describing a downgrade, as in removing the pool, as being an upgrade. And the local residents are campaigning to save the outdoor pool. But this is something which is quite common to a lot of councils, where a lot of councils think outdoor pools are too expensive to run and just want to close them down. And the residents in Faulkner who are campaigning to save our pool in Faulkner have linked up with a campaign on the other side of the city in Doveton 
in the Casey Council area where they're also fighting to save their outdoor pool. And they had the same thing happen to them as the residents in Faulkner had where their council described it as not as a closure of the pool but as a redesign of the pool Mm. when actually it means close the pool and repurpose the pool in Faulkner means close the pool. Mm. So um, there are campaigns in both suburbs and we've sort of linked up because really we're facing a common issue and it's really part of the whole neoliberal thing of closing down community assets. Mm. Yes, and I imagine um, it's probably not too many renters in the Faulkner area possibly people who are renting, maybe even people who own their own home. They've got young kids, working class people, um, or maybe they don't have their own kids and they just like having a swim on a hot day in summer. They don't have their own pool in the backyard. And so it's kind of handy if you've got a pool in your local area and you don't have to go to another suburb or all the way into the city or somewhere else to use the pool. Well, I think that's right. And, in um, Moreland with the outdoor pools, you know, you have to be practically a detective to find out when they're open. And actually, they're not open that much. And so um, the only outdoor pool that's open all year round is the Brunswick Baths. And so, but even in summer, even when they're heat waves, often the pool, especially Faulkner, is open less than other pools. So often people are driving around hunting for a pool that's open um, that they can go to because the local pool is closed. And also, you know, for, you know, there are a lot of things that, especially for young people, um, there's not that much entertainment in Moreland. Like if you're not involved in a sporting club, you're not into arts or music or whatever, um, there aren't a lot of affordable activities, you know, to be involved in, to go to, to just go and dive bomb in the local pool. Mm. No, you're not meant to do that these days, but, you know, like, you know, just hang out in in the gardens around the pool and so forth. Um, and this day and age of climate change, like, we actually do need to keep these facilities open um, yeah. and... You know, for Faulkner, yeah, no, it's not that easy for people in Faulkner, young people, to get to other areas where there might be pools. So it's basically closing down a community facility or part of a community facility in um, a working class area. And, you know, if the pool closes, then it's a lot harder to win it back than it is to stop it from being closed. Mm, totally. Mm, okay, and that's not the only pool-related news coming out of Moreland at the moment, is it? Well, no, there's something else which, you know, for a council like Moreland that um, prides itself on being active around climate um, issues and has declared itself a climate emergency council, it's really outrageous that it heats all its pools and leisure centres with gas, every single one of them. And I moved a motion in 2019, this shows how slow it is to get things through councils, that council bring a plan back to councillors to phase out the use of gas to heat um, heat our pools um, in time for the redevelopment of the Faulkner Pool. So finally, something's coming back. 
um, to uh, plan to phase out the um, gas heating in outdoor pools, but there's a move by a Labor right councillor to stop this from happening. So there's now a petition of local climate groups to um, call on the council to phase out the use of gas in um, in our pools. Last time I looked, gas was a fossil fuel, mm. should be phased out immediately. Totally. And it's a really destructive thing to extract and there's a lot of leakage in the in the production of gas, so it's not just the actual burning of the gas in the heater at the pool or whatever. It's the it's the fracking fields that generate that gas and all of the leakage of gas from that production process at every step of the um transmission process of gas through pipelines and so on and um yeah i I would have thought too that the economics of it are probably pretty favorable i know that with your own home um it's you you end up better off with your bills if you switch from a gas boiler hot water to a um to a heat pump hot water system or, or solar I know that it's a bit different if you have instantaneous gas uh, at your house, but I think that uh, that's probably not... I would think that a swimming pool is more akin to a big um, hot water boiler system because you're just taking a large body of water and then you're kind of warming it up and then keeping it warm. So I think it's a bit more akin to a... um, Yeah, like a a big central gas boiler hot water system that you might have at your house. So yeah, I would be I'd be surprised if there's not substantial savings in the in the medium to long term from cuz I imagine those pools would get massive gas bills. It takes a lot of it takes a lot of gas just to heat up a couple hundred liters of water for your house. It must take vast quantities of gas to heat up swimming pools. I think it's right, and the most of councils use gas. 89% of the gas that council uses is used to heat the swimming pools. And if you got rid of gas from all council buildings, it would reduce council's carbon footprint by 27%. And you're right, I mean, even beyond the climate arguments... Uh, um, it will be cheaper in the long run, my understanding is, to get rid of the gas boilers. I gather the gas boilers are cheaper to install but cost a lot more to maintain. And then after 2024, it's likely that the gas prices will escalate sharply in Australia, in Victoria in particular. Mm. And so... You know, even from a purely economic point of view, it doesn't make sense to keep using gas. But of course, um, you know, my prime prime motivation on pushing this is that um, that it, you know, is to save the climate. Um, and the total hypocrisy of saying you're doing something about climate action when you're actually still using fossil fuel. So I think, you know, there's a need for the council to do what it says it's doing as a climate emergency council and phase out the gas. And if people are interested, I think the petition's going to go online today. If people are interested in signing a petition to call on Moreland to get out of gas, then um, 
people can contact me. My, I'm on Facebook, fairly easy to find. Um, Sue Bolton, um, just look me up on um, Facebook. Yeah, sweet. All right. Well, uh, I'll see if we can post a link to that petition to the Green Left Radio Roundup as well. But yeah, that's uh, seems like low hanging fruit. Like uh, that that would be a as you say, 89% of council's gas use is for heating the pools, so it seems like an obvious way for council to massively cut its emissions pretty quickly. So, yeah. Uh, good work once again, Councillor Bolton, for uh, yeah spearheading that sort of campaign when uh, council is dragging its feet. Yes, very much so. And um, too much stuff can be... Um Seemingly progressive moves by councils or governments, sometimes you peel away the surface and sometimes you find the actual action is not not much at all underneath it. And so, you know, a lot of councils, climate work, I'm not saying they've done nothing and all of their electricity at the moment is from 100% renewable energy, but a lot of its um, climate action is encouraging householders and businesses to switch to renewable energy and and so it's sort of asking people but you know there'll be going to be some householders um, especially a lot of renters who aren't able to do that Um, but this is something council can directly do which will have a direct impact so Mm. very very important to do all right uh, well, I think at this point, uh, once again, just encourage people to ring in. We uh, do have a donation. So far, we have raised $132 uh, on the Green Left Radio Give Now. That's the online um, place where you can make a donation. Um, Mary Merkinich has chucked in. Thank you, Mary. Uh, Mayura has has chucked in fifty bucks, and also uh, an anonymous donor has chucked in thirty dollars. Uh, if you want to um, contribute as well, you can go to three cr dot org dot au forward slash donate. So we're trying to raise eleven hundred bucks. You can find the Green Left Radio Give Now. Uh, so far, we've We've chipped away $132 of that total. Uh, but yeah, if you can, please, uh, hop on the phone and you can also, you can make a pledge. Oh, thanks also to Anastasia who has jumped online and, uh, donated 30 bucks to 3CR. Legend. All right. Just play a quick announcement and then I think we might play you an interview with Jeff Halper, who is a activist who lives in uh, Israel, but he is a pro-Palestine activist and author, and he was talking about the recent attacks on Palestine and in the long term, how is this going to be resolved? And his proposal, uh, alongside many others, is for a one-state solution where Palestinians actually get a say over the government that controls their lives and get to vote in a, uh, a united sort of Israel-Palestine government. 
rather than the current situation where Israelis get to vote for that government, but Palestinians are sort of second-class citizens in this apartheid-type situation. So, yes, we'll play that soon, Jeff Halper. But, yeah, if you can, ring up. Uh, 941983 You are on 3CR. Hey, I'm Jess Locke, and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. You can donate to 3CR's Radiothon from the 14th to the 20th of June. Thank you so much. Radiothon. Call now, 9419 or visit 3cr.org.au. All right. So, yes, as mentioned just previous, we've got uh, Jeff Halper here, who is an activist based in uh, Israel, talking about the... I guess the the durable uh, way to solve the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, which is to uh, abolish the uh, settler state uh, of of Israel and replace it with a a one-state solution. So, yes, Jeff Halper. Is no other side. They're not asking the indigenous population. They're not negotiating with the indigenous population. The indigenous population doesn't count. It's not, it's not, it has no rights. It has no, there is no side. And we have to remember that in terms of this struggle as well. Because the, the whole idea that we can negotiate, we can, we can use a conflict resolution mechanism to resolve a settler colonial issue is wrong. It just doesn't work. And that's, we've seen that for the last 30 years. That, that this that this approach hasn't worked because there aren't two sides. Israel until today, from its inception of Zionism 125 years ago until this moment, has never recognized the existence of a Palestinian people, not to mention its national rights. And it can't. It can't because that would undercut the exclusive settler claim, Zionist claim to the entire country. So once we begin to understand the logic of settler colonialism, its logic and its structures, and that's what we have to get out to the general public more and more, that's what gives us the the ability to understand the, the actual problem. The problem is not negotiations. The problem is not both sides. The problem is not – the problem is um, – um, you know, that uh, that a settler movement, Zionism – has come to to Judaize, that's the term it used, to transform an Arab country into a Jewish country, and and has done it largely. It succeeded until we've gotten today where we are, which is really an apartheid regime. And as Haider says, and this is really an important point, there already is one country. The whole issue of one state, two states is gone. De facto, between the Mediterranean and the Jordan River, there's already a single country. You can't get into this country through any borders without going through Israeli border controls. There's one effective army. There's one effective government. 
There's one economic system. There's one settlement system. There's one infrastructure. There's one water system, electrical system. By any measure, this is already one country. So our, our, our task is clear from our point of view, at least. And that is to transform a single apartheid regime that Israel created into a democratic state of equal rights for all its citizens. So, uh, so, um, so this is the, now the problem with, with settler colonialism, of course, is that resistance is, is, um, uh, is inevitable and resistance is permanent. In other words, the, the, what the settler colonial, uh, project tries to do is after a, a very violent process of suppressing the indigenous population and taking its land, the idea is, all right, now we're going to present ourselves as a normal country. And what we want is when people think of Israel, for example, they think of Israel as the beaches, gay Tel Aviv, uh, a normal Jewish country. We're coming here to see, you know, the temple where the temple was and all of this. And not think at all of Palestinians to erase, to eliminate the Palestinian presence or the Arab character of the country whatsoever. Um, that's really the process. And, and, in, and, and part of that process is not only erasing the Palestinian presence, but it's instrumentalizing it. In other words, Israel hasn't managed to get rid of the Arabs. You know, the majority population of this country today is Palestinian. It hasn't managed to eliminate um, uh, resistance. So what it does by instrumentalizing Palestinians is that it's criminalized resistance by erasing any kind of political context so that Gaza is not a political thing. Gaza is a Hamas terrorist movement throwing rockets on Israel just because they hate Jews. That's the, that's the framing, you see. And so what that does by by erasing and eliminating the political context the settler colonial context, the, fun, the foundational violence that Israel committed against the Palestinians by displacing them and taking their land, it, it decontextualizes and criminalizes so that all Palestinian resistance simply becomes terrorism. And of course, uh, that has tremendous uh, uh, traction in the world. And so that's what, that's what really part of Gaza was, was to, was to was to instrumentalize Hamas by presenting it as a criminal terrorist movement and therefore um, and therefore bolstering Israel's claim that it has a right to defend itself. By, and under that cover, of course, comes the occupation, which becomes a part of Israel as well. That's part of it. A second part of Gaza, by the way, has to do with, um, with uh, you know, I wrote another book called War Against the People where I, I say that Gaza, especially, and also the West Bank, is really a laboratory for Israel perfecting and developing weapon systems, surveillance systems, uh, military technologies of repression that it then exports. So in many ways, actually, Gaza, uh, the whole Gaza uh, attack of those 11 days was a military exercise. It was a, it was a testing of all kinds of new equipment. Hyder mentioned some of it. I mean, high phosphorus weapons, but also F-35s, 
new navigating systems, new tactics, and so on, um, that, uh, that are then, um, you know, the, the whole issue of the tunnels, you know, a whole tunnel technology that was developed, um, that's then, that's then exported. So it had little to do with actually Gaza itself. It had to do with using Gaza, instrumentalizing Gaza in order to promote a military industry. And one other uh, thing behind Gaza, of course, was the, um, was the election, the Israeli election. And that, that's, that's also a context where Netanyahu, who's facing a new government, it's not quite in place yet, but this week we should have a new government, a right-wing government, but nevertheless, uh, getting rid of Netanyahu, which is its only agenda. Um, uh, so, so, so Netanyahu is trying to instrumentalize not just Palestinians, but religion, uh, in order to create a, a, an atmosphere in which the Islamic party uh, will not join the new government. And that's where the attacks on Sheikh Jarrah happened, the attacks on Al-Aqsa, culminating in the attack on Gaza. In other words, in other words, the best way from the, the most powerful way for Netanyahu to polarize, especially an Islamic party, is by attacking religion, by attacking religious sites. And that was, and in order to create an atmosphere in which the Islamic party can never join any Israeli government, not only Netanyahu's, but also the opposition. And without the Islamic party, then we're facing another round of elections. And that's what Netanyahu wants, because as long as he can keep elections going, he can stay in power forever. So that's a little bit about the background of Gaza. But again, using Gaza and using these attacks as a way of elaborating the idea of settler colonialism and the logic of all. In other words, we have to help people interpret and understand these specific events that happen according to the logic of settler colonialism. They're not unexpected. They're not unexplainable. They fit into a pattern. And we have to help people understand that pattern. Now, I want to say one more thing in the couple minutes I have left. And that is that, um, and, and I want to again echo what Hyder said. Um, ICAD, my organization, the Israeli Committee Against House Demolitions, has always been political. We fight house demolitions on the ground. We resist. We rebuild homes, of course, of, of Palestinians that have been demolished by Israel. But we're always political. The issue is not house demolitions. The issue is using house demolitions as a vehicle for exposing how the occupation works, um, what Israel's intentions are as a leverage point for fighting occupation and fighting what's going on. So we've always been political. And over the years, of course, our political agenda was the two-state solution. That was accepted by the PLO in 1988. And that was maybe for 10, 15 years, the main agenda. It's been clear now for at least the last 10, maybe 20 years, if, if not more, that the two-state solution is not only gone, but again, if we get into the settler colonial analysis, we understand that there never was a two-state solution. Because the Zionism came with the purpose of Judaizing the entire country, not 78% of it. So the very idea that a Palestinian state based on Palestinian rights would be 
established in the heart of our biblical homeland is ridiculous. So we can't say the two-state solution is dead. We have to say the two-state solution never was. And therefore, the only way out of a settler colonial situation, like I said, not negotiations or conflict resolution, the only way out is decolonization, dismantling the structures of control and domination that exist, including, as Haider mentioned, colonization of the mind, and replacing that, that apartheid occupation colonial system with a new, with a new system, a new polity that's based on equal rights for everyone and the right of return of refugees. And again, the importance of the settler colonial analysis is that it expands our view. Over all these years, really the, we've been talking about occupation and the occupation. That's been the mantra. But the occupation is only 22% of historic Palestine. What about the other 78%? So that what, what settler colonialism does is it expands our view, as Haider was saying, to the entire country. The problem is the entire country. And we have to decolonize and we have to have a political solution. We cannot be in a political struggle without a solution, without a political program without something to mobilize around. And I want to say one more thing, and then I'm going to stop within my 15 minutes. And that is that, um, like South Africa, um, the Israeli Jews are not going to be partners in dismantling their own system of apartheid. Why would they? They're, they're enjoying, they're enjoying uh, the rule, the access to all the resources. They're on top. Why would they want to dismantle it? And governments are not on our side yet. Um, and so, like South Africa, the Palestinians have one strong, powerful ally, and that's you, the international civil society. What, South, what the ANC did in South Africa was bypass the white population there. It bypassed the, the declared government, the apartheid government, and it went directly to the international civil society, the people. Churches, trade unions, university groups, political groups, human rights groups, you know, all of us of a certain age were engaged in the anti-apartheid movement. And where it was different from BDS, and here I disagree a little bit with Haider, is that the, the, the ANC, the anti-apartheid movement, always had an end game. The end game was one person, one vote. That's what we were fighting for, everybody in the world. And when Mandela had to come up against the clerk with all kinds of suggestions of power sharing and this and that, he had an end game that he could, that he could uh, uh, stick with and eventually achieve. We don't have that. You know, the two state solution is gone. There's a vacuum. There's a void, which leaves all of you abroad. You might be supporting Palestinian rights. You do BDS, you do a very important campaigns. What you're doing is important, but without an end game, you're floundering. What are we, what are we selling? What are we at? What are we BDSing for? And those three elements are important, but they're not a political program. And so I think what, what the one democratic state campaign is trying to do, me and Haider and, and the others is to insert a political program an end game into our struggle that empowers all of us. And with that focus and that direction, 
and you on our side will be able to change government policies towards Israel. Because I think Israel has, 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 even though Israel's strong with governments, it's lost the support of the public, of the people. And we have to build on that. But the only way we can build on that effectively is by advocating for a political solution. And the only political solution that will resolve a settler colonial issue is decolonization and the establishment of a single democratic state over all of historic Palestine. All right. Uh, so we've just been listening to a recording of a talk by Jeff Halper, who spoke at the Green Left Forum, Why Israel is a Apartheid State, which took place on the 8th of June. Jeff Halper is an Israeli anthropologist, former university lecturer, political activist and author. He's a co-founder of the Israeli Committee Against House Demolitions, ICAD, and the One Democratic State Campaign. His most recent book is Decolonizing Israel, Liberating Palestine. And you are listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR, and it's Radio Sun Week, and I'm pleased to announce that we have had a donation come in. Uh, Barry Goff, uh, a comrade involved in the Earthworker uh, Cooperative Project, based out, uh, out G-Town Way, out, out Geelong Town, I think he's in uh, Lancefield today, uh, has chucked in 20 bucks. So thank you very much, Barry. You're a champion. And, uh, yeah, his message is, go the Earthworkers, and I could not agree more. Shout out to all those... Uh, people who might be listening this morning who are involved with or who've got friends involved in Earthworker Cooperative and its various constituent co-ops like the Energy Co-op, Red Gum Cleaning Co-op, Hope Co-op and others. All right, um, I'll just pay a quick announcement. CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. As much as we are lied to that what is happening in Palestine is complicated, there is nothing complicated about it. Israel maintains a regime of apartheid, ethnic cleansing and occupation. None of these concepts are new. They have all existed in some form throughout history. This nation is founded on settler colonialism. Drawing parallels between our struggles doesn't only shed light on the commonality of different social justice issues, but it also shows us that as Palestinians, our freedom and liberation is so inherently intertwined with the freedom and liberation of so many others around the world. 3CR Radio Time, community powered radio. To donate, call 03. 03- 94198377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au Yes, you're listening to Green Left Radio. And this is Melbourne's staunchest radio station, 3CR. Uh, we are doing Radiothon. Just a reminder, you should give us a buzz, 94198377. If you are able to pledge a bit of coin, chuck a bit of money in the bucket. 
Uh, now, some news. Um, Sue, uh, the past couple of weeks have seen um, this poor little girl, Sarunika, uh, medivaced from Christmas Island and taken to Perth where she was treated for sepsis uh, after developing pneumonia, which should never have happened, which was subsequently left untreated. Um, the federal government seems to be trying to uh, depressurise campaigns to get the refugees let out of the camps by saying, oh yeah, they can stay in the country for a while, but they're still not granting um, protection visa and, and citizenship to um, the the family. Um, yeah, what's your what's your take on this? What's what needs to happen mm. with these poor people locked in these horrible concentration camps? Well, firstly, on the situation of this Tamil refugee family, Priya Nadez and their little girl, Tanika, who's in hospital with a really serious life-threatening illness, and her sister, Kopika. Um, this fa- like the big campaign all over Australia has forced the hand of the government, um, and so it is a victory that the government's been forced to um, let Nadez and Kopika be reunited with Priya and Tanika in Perth. I mean, that is a victory for the campaign. But, of course, the government's trying to stop the victory going too far. And so the government is putting the family into community detention. Like, the family's not going to run anywhere. They don't need to be in detention. They want asylum in Australia. But there's some big problems with what the government's putting forward. Um, The government is really denying that these family are refugees. And this, you know, and the government has already deported, you know, something like 1,500 Tamil refugees back to Sri Lanka. And one of the big problems with what the government's doing is they're relying on a Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade Report, which says that Sri Lanka is safe for Tamils. And there's even a court in the, in Britain that has come out and, and criticised, um, Australia for using that report as a basis for deporting Tamils. And, uh, even in Britain, I gather they, the decisions on refugee cases of Tamils who've come from Sri Lanka, um, is um, is are now saying that it is unsafe for Tamils to go back to Sri Lanka. Mm. So it is outrageous that the government is trying to um, still say that it is safe for this family to go back to Sri Lanka, that there's no problems for Tamils. There's still people who have disappeared. There's still torture of Tamils. There's repercussions for Tamils who are, who've sought refuge, refuge in other countries and are deported back to Sri Lanka. Tamils don't have full rights. Um, Tamils are in a situation in a lot of ways very similar to the Palestinians that we just heard that interview about. I mean, isn't Australia effectively acting, as far as Tamils are concerned, isn't the Australian government effectively acting like an extension of the Sri Lankan government? In, in terms of 
extending the Sri Lankan government's oppressive uh, power beyond its national borders. Like, there's the risk of deporting people back to danger where they can be tortured and killed. The Australian government supplies gunboats and gives, in my understanding, military aid to the Sri Lankan government. Like, if you're a Tamil and then you've come to Australia and you're in a concentration camp and you're at threat of being sent back to a... To, to live under a government that has killed much of your family and subjected you to untold horror, it's, yeah. Well, this is a family that lived through the genocide. And so all of the Tamil refugees who've come to Australia to seek asylum have lived through that genocide. And even besides anything else, besides the question of how safe or unsafe it is for Tamils in Sri Lanka today, these are people who've been traumatised through living through a genocide. Mm. And to give people an idea of this genocide, the Sri Lankan um, military, um, during the final days of the Civil War, told civilians, if you go to this particular place, you'll, this will be a safe zone and you'll be safe from the bombs. People went to those safe zones and then they were bombed. And so it was a deliberate genocide. They were deliberately trying to wipe out as many Tamils as they possibly could. This was an absolutely horrific thing for Tamils to live through. And during the um, wave of... Um, Tamil refugee exodus from Sri Lanka, um, it included Tamils who were farmers. Now, farmers very rarely ever leave their land. You have to be um, have an experience of a very severe traumatic situation for, for farmers to be forced out. Like, usually they're the last ones to leave a dangerous location. Um, and this is a family which needs permanency because that's the other thing that's happening in Australia is um, that when even if people are found to be refugees and under our really discriminatory refugee system, um, people are not given permanent visas. They're given these terrible temporary protection visas or CHEV visas, which go for five years. Hmm. Temporary protection visas go for three years. So at the end of every three or five years, you have to reprove that you're a refugee and you're barred from family reunion. So like, there's so many injustices in the refugee system and not to mention the fact that the actual process of applying for refugee status and having your status approved or rejected is a faulty discriminatory process as well. And under this fast-track refugee assessment process, you have no right to appeal. So mm. if some of your documents have been mistranslated, um, if... Um, mistakes creep into your refugee applications or the assessments of applications, you have no right of appeal. And then um, they rely on these really dodgy um, assessments of the safety of countries like Iran, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka to make their assessments. And these country assessments are really dodgy. Um, in, in Afghanistan, 
um, the DFAT assessments are based on areas around the capital, not deep in the deep in the countryside where you know Hazara are feel uh, you know facing you know a lot of discrimination and a lot of physical attacks, and it's a similar situation in Sri Lanka where it's reliant on dodgy kind of assessments. And sometimes the Sri Lankan government can interfere in assessments or in court cases as well. Um, so the Australian government and the Sri Lankan government have a very close relationship, and I think you're right. Um, the Australian government is virtually operating as an arm of the Sri Lankan government in its um, furthering of the oppression of Tamils. Mm. And there is going to be a protest on Saturday, another protest uh, that from the Home to Bilo campaign, um, basically calling for this Tamil family to be allowed to go home to Bilo and to be granted permanent refugee status. Yeah, nice. And that's... Um... 2 p.m. at State Library this Saturday, yeah. as in tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully with the... It's been difficult with this lockdown to be able to protest at this crucial juncture. But, uh, yeah, hopefully there's a good turnout tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, don't forget to bring your masks and uh, stand in a somewhat of a spaced-out fashion. But, uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be good if we can get a good crowd here and, and elsewhere around the country and really keep the pressure up. Because, uh, yeah, it's just horrible what that family has, has been subjected to. And... Uh, yeah, it's just really the icing on the cake of a horrible situation for them, for, for Sarnika to be, yeah, put in a position where she's on death's door. Uh, okay, you are listening to 3CR. Please do phone in. The phones have been slightly quiet this morning. And thank you to Sue, who has, uh, you've just pledged uh, 50 bucks. So um, cheers, comrade. Um, yes, all right, we will just play you a quick announcement. Three CR always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment, they want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses, they want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So, there's tens of thousands of jobs gone contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. The 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. The union movement stands in solidarity with students and all young people taking action today. And we stand in solidarity with you for two reasons. Firstly, because we believe in the rights of young people to have a say in our democracy. Do not let the conservative media try to silence you. Be loud and proud. As we know in the union movement, when we raise our voices together, we cannot be silenced. Secondly, we stand in solidarity as your struggle is our struggle too. Climate change is union business. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. To donate, call 03 
9419 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. All right, you are listening to Green Left Radio, and it is Radio Sign Week. Uh, please ring in and donate if you can, 9419 8377, or head online, go to 3cr.org.au. And look up Green Left Radio, or you could just Google Green Left Radio, and you'll find our page at 3CR. And then you can donate at our Give Now online donation portal. We're going to keep this place kicking along. Uh, and we have just been talking this morning about the Home to Billow campaign. And, uh, yeah, that the, the ongoing campaign to get this Tamil family um, released. And, and there's another aspect to this because the government's going on saying, oh, the immigration minister can't use this special power the immigration minister has to grant this family a visa, this Tamil family a visa. But the immigration minister under Liberal Party and Labor governments um, have used this power lots of times before. The Liberal Party definitely has. And I'm aware of a number of instances where the immigration minister has um, used their power to um, grant special visa status for white Zimbabwean farmers, for um, Israel's puppet army in southern Lebanon, the southern Lebanese army, um, who really collaborated with the Israeli regime um, in southern Lebanon. Um, they've used it for Christians from Syria who were um, claiming refugee status. Um, and I think you mentioned in discussion just before we came back on air... Um, they, the au pair scandal yeah. from a few years back. Dutton hooking yeah. up some French au pairs or something who'd overstayed their visa with a... Yeah, an yeah. extension or something. Yeah, so there are lots of times we, most people, most, this doesn't normally get any kind of media coverage, but basically the government has used their special immigration powers on numerous occasions to, um, to grant special, um, special status for all sorts of people, usually people that they think are going to be right wingers. And even there was a scandal where they, this is a former immigration minister, Liberal Party, who used their power, I think, for, uh, someone who turned out to be a mafia boss in, in Melbourne. Um, this is actually years ago, but like, this is the Liberal Party. Um, and, you know, so, but they won't use it for desperate refugees. Hmm. Yeah, it's just disgraceful. Yeah, not using it for the people who actually really need it and whose whose care uh, we should really offer. As a wealthy country, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I, the, the, the extent to which the lessons of World War Two were kind of forgotten, like my... Um, my grandparents on my mum's um, side, who are no longer with us, they migrated to Australia after World War Two. They were from the Netherlands, and they were not uh, refugees as such, but they were basically what you might call economic migrants. The ec- the economy of um, Europe was decimated by World War Two, and they moved out here and. 
really mainstream progressive thought following World War Two just took it as a given. There's been a massive war. People's lives have been decimated. And if those people come out here, they will work and contribute to the economy. So what's the problem? And, yeah, it's just disgraceful the way that in the name of racism and, and nationalism and divide and conquer, that the very basic principle of people fleeing war and terror should be able to come here and live a safe life and be part of the economy in this part of the world. This uh, idea has been kind of broken down and forgotten. It, it should just be common sense, I think. Well, I think Australia has effectively ripped up the UN Refugee Convention. It's still a signatory to the UN Refugee Convention, but it has effectively ripped it up so that even if you manage to get through all the hoops of the refugee um, assessment process and get granted refugee status, you are only granted these temporary visas. So there's some families where parents haven't seen their children in eight years. And just think about that, um, especially if children were young, very young, or maybe babies when you might have left the country. And you have situations where um, where people's families aren't able to take the pressure or where children, um, when they have FaceTime with their parents who are in detention, um, don't want to recognise them as being parents because mm. they've never really known them. They've, their parent has never really lived with them. Um, their parent has been either locked away in detention or they've been granted a temporary visa, which means they are banned from ever having family reunion. And I think that's why there's such high rates of mental illness amongst refugees, because humans need stability. Hmm. Um, you need a stable basis. You need a stable home. I mean, it would be the same with homeless people who are homeless. Hmm. You You need a stable place in order to plan your life and organize yourself mm. and your family. And so if you're if you have no idea where you're going to be living tomorrow, um, or how long you're going to be in detention or how long you'll be on these temporary visas or how long it will be before you'll ever see your family again, then you have you can't plan your life. So it's actually a worse situation bet than being sentenced to a prison prison term, even for a crime that you didn't commit, because at least if you're sentenced to a crime, you can start counting down the days till you get released. Mm. And if you think you've been, you're innocent and you've been convicted unfairly, then you can plan an appeal process, etc. Whereas refugees don't even have any of that kind of certainty. Um, It's just an abominable, a totally abominable situation. Hmm. And there are a number of um, protests coming up, which I'll announce during the calendar section of the program. All right. Well, um, that will be actually coming up soon. Um, If you have been trying to ring in to 3CR, um, please keep ringing. There's just been some slight issues with the phones. Um, So, yeah, do call in 9419 8377, uh, or you can donate online, 3cr.org.au, and look up the Greenleaf Radio page. All right, we'll just play a couple more announcements, and then we will get to the 
uh, Green Left um, activist calendar. Why not pledge your support now? Just text the word donate to 0488 930 That's 0488 930 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. When you think about the gay and lesbian movement, it you know it really kicks off in the 1970s in Australia. But acceptance didn't suddenly happen in the 1970s. I think we often look back as if like the 1990s even was this rosy period where people were accepted. But like actually, nah. Like the 1990s was still actually quite a hard time to be openly gay. The 1990s into the 2000s were maybe sort of a tipping point where you begin to see more acceptance. And I think with trans people, you see that tipping point happening in the teens where there's more acceptance. There's more more visibility, but with that acceptance and visibility comes backlash, which sadly we're seeing playing out all over the world and in our parliaments. I mean, what's going on in New South Wales right now with that anti-trans bill that Mark Latham's pushing is absolutely atrocious. Again, the flip side of that, why are they being so atrocious? Well, because there's more acceptance. That doesn't make it any easier when they're being atrocious, but it's that thing of, you know, they're shouting loudly because attitudes have changed and they're trying to stop history and they're going to lose. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 03-9419-8377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. Welcome back. You are listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. It is Friday morning. It is three, four minutes past eight. And I'm very pleased to report that we have had some donations come in. Hooray! Woo! Um, so first, uh, first cab off the rank, 
We've got Mum up in Newcastle, Linda Alcorn. Uh, she has chucked in 40 bucks and uh, says, fantastic effort to all the volunteers who run 3CR. So good on your Mum. Thanks for that. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, we've also got $40 from Sarah Hasway, activist out in Geelong Town. And Sarah says, you do a brilliant job every week. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for supporting uh, Radical Radio and helping us to keep on delivering this uh, show and, and helping all of the shows on uh, 3CR uh, to continue delivering alternative news. Uh, we've also got $20 from Paul Rayner. And thank you very much, Paul. And $100 from Chris Lee. Uh, you bloody legend, Chris Lee. Thank you very much. Um, so, yes, cheers to everyone who is helping the collective effort to keep this excellent radio station on the air. We do need to raise a quarter of a million schmackos across the station. Uh, Green Left Radio is doing our bit, to, uh, trying to razz up 1100 bucks towards that target. Um and yeah, there's over 300 volunteers who put on all the shows here at 3CR. And then there is a small paid staff who kind of coordinate and make it all happen. There's overheads, rent, phone, internet, broadband, computers break and need to be fixed. There's training for all of the volunteers who come in here. So yeah, there's, there's affiliation fees to the Community Radio Federation. So there's a bunch of stuff that needs to happen to keep this thing going. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much to everyone who's chipping in to, uh, keep it all purring along to, to service the vehicle as it were. All right. Um, Sue, so it is time for the activist calendar. And, uh, I think, uh, you might be doing the honors this week. Special guest activist calendar presenter. No worries. And there have been um, some changes um, as a result of you know, all the COVID lockdowns and, and some of the restrictions coming out of COVID. So I'll just go through what's happening this weekend, of the next couple of weekends. So as I said earlier, tomorrow there is going to be a refugee protest um, uh, let Tani and her family home to Biloela. Um, that'll be at 2pm at the State Library and it'll be um, jointly organised by the Home to Bilo campaign and the Refugee Action Collective. There will be two other events also happening this weekend. One is a protest at Bacchus Marsh, No Toxic Soil, at 10.30am um, at the Rupert Vance Moon Reserve. And um, there are also campaigns in Sunbury and Buller around toxic waste. Um, mainly, this is all mainly toxic waste that's coming out of the Westgate Tunnel drilling. Um, and so there, I mean, this is really highly contaminated waste that's being carted off and dumped in in these communities. Um, and there are big campaigns around that issue. Um, on Saturday, there will also be a public meeting organised by the Health and Community Services Union um, titled Disabled Lives Are Not For Profit, and that's at 2pm, and uh, I think that's an online meeting. I'm not quite sure, um, 
But if you just search either the Health and Community Services Union internet or um, website or Facebook page, um, you'll be able to find out all of the details. Um, But there is a rally postponement. Uh, So this Sunday, there was meant to be a World Refugee Day rally. Now, that rally has been postponed until Sunday, the 25th of July. Um, And partly that uh, is because some of the organisations involved in the organising of it are refugee-led organisations, and they really didn't want to be blamed for breaking COVID restrictions or any kind of spread of the virus or whatever because they, you know, suffer incredible racism and prejudice. Um, And so that rally has been deferred until the 25th of July um, and that rally will focus on permanent visas, not discrimination um, when that happens. Um, There are some other things coming up. Saturday, the 26th of June, Amnesty International is organising a vigil for refugees outside the Park Hotel. Um, so, you know, we'll talk about that more in the next week's Green Left Radio program. And just a couple of um, events in the horizon, uh, not until Saturday, the uh, 3rd of July, um, there will be a Another Palestine protest, Stand with the Sheikh Jarrah community. Now, that was originally scheduled during the lockdown, but that's been postponed till the 3rd of July. Um, there's still a need for solidarity with Palestine because Israel has started bombing Gaza again. And then on that same day, but in the morning, there is a community event or community rally to save Faulkner's outdoor pools and that'll be 10am outside the Faulkner Leisure Centre Um, but we can also talk about both of those events closer to the time Alright, well get out there and uh, get amongst it in coming weeks and over this weekend Uh, Okay, you are listening to Green Life Radio on 3CR It is a radiothon Please do call 94198377 and make a donation. And we've got another one has come in the door just in the last five minutes. And that is from my daddy. That's from Scott Alcorn up in Cessnock Town on the doorstep of coal mining and wine growing country <clears throat> up near up near Newcastle. And Scott has donated $50. Thank you very much. And uh, has a message. Thanks for providing a great alternative to the trash out there in the mainstream. So that is a no worries. We are um, proud to make our contribution to 3CR delivering an alternative to the trash out there in the mainstream. And we'll continue to do so with your support. So thank you very much. Alright, I might play another quick announcement and then we're going to get on the, <coughs> on the phone, uh, Nick Fredo, Nick Fredman, who's a former, um, presenter here at, uh, 3CR from in the, back in the early 2000s. And yeah, just hear a little bit about the history of Green Leaf Radio. We, we did have a few years off on the bench. Uh, and then we, we've been back with a vengeance over the last probably five or six years or so. 
So, yeah, we'll hear, hear from Fredo about the, the, the olden days, the early days, back in the early 2000s when uh, we also used to have a show here. All right. You can make us very happy. Aren't you glad to have 3CR in your life? Power this radical radio and donate to keep us so very happy. Call us now on 9419 8377 or donate online 3cr.org.au. You can make us very happy. CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. And it's estimated that even the relatively small tactical-sized nuclear weapon dropped in Hiroshima released about a thousand times as much energy from the fires that it started as from that already big explosion itself. And the average size of the nuclear weapon in the global arsenal today is not 15 kilotons as in Hiroshima, but more like 200 kilotons. So even a regional war, a limited regional war in one part of the world, um, such as between India and Pakistan or involving Israel's nuclear weapons in the Middle East, would have global consequences because this smoke that would be generated by burning cities. So the climate scientists who've done this work have really drawn the analogy that these are not weapons in any legitimate conceivable sense that can differentiate between a combatant and a civilian, that can be confined in their effects in space or time. These are really global suicide bombs that we simply can't use. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. To donate, call 03... 03- 94198377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au Solidarity Breakfast, your Saturday morning serving of union and working news. Current events, opinion and talk back. Every Saturday, 7.30 till 9am, here on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. Alrighty, welcome back. This is Green Left Radio on 3CR. It's quarter past eight on Friday morning. And on the phone this morning, we have got special guest, Nick Fredman. Uh, Nick was a presenter of Green Left Radio in its earlier incarnation. And yeah, joins us this morning. Welcome, Nick. Hi, Zane. Hi, Green Left Radio crew. How's it going? Happy Radio Song. Oh, cheers. And we've got Sue Bolton in the room as well. Yeah, hey, Sue. How are you going? Yeah, great. Welcome back to the radio program, Nick. Uh, yeah, for a li- after a little break of um, six years or something. Yeah, so yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about the early days um, of the show? Yeah, sure. Well, I was doing a bit of work for Green Left and Socialist Alliance at the time. This was early 2015, if I'm correct. 
And um, I don't know if you talked about these this, this origin story already, but my recollection is the uh, station management approached Sue, I think, um, about us possibly Green Left hosting a show. I think they had a little slot vacant and, you know, knowing us from various campaigns and activities, they thought we'd be a, a good fit and, you know, we talked about it and, and agreed. I think one, one thing that's interesting is probably, you know, no, everyone thought it was a great idea um, and, you know, respected the station and, and, and listened to it and so on, but there was probably maybe a little bit of hesitation. You know, we do lots of work and this will be a bit more work and, you know, we raise lots of money for our own activities and, you know, we'd, we'd want to contribute to the radio sign and the fundraising and can we do that? Does it all fit in? But, um, uh, yeah, I think once we got into it, I think, I think in practice we, we were, we, we realised that what we, what we hoped for, we expected. It was a lot of cross-fertilisation mm. and progressive media getting together and a lot of people we were working with anyway in lots of different areas and campaigns. It's, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not world work. It's more than some of its parts. When people unite and get together and, and support each other and show some solidarity, we get some good results out of it. And I think it's um, powering on and, and um, expanding. I think the initial slot was half an hour and now doing a whole whole breakfast yeah. slot, you know, and keeping it up for six years and being a big part of the station has been a, been a big success story. Yeah, I think that's a really good point you raised too about the sort of activists, um, activist media networks and the kind of, I guess, the way that the producing activist media actually is a is a vehicle to tie activists and link activists together. But yeah, the point you raise about Green Left, the the online and the newspaper publication has its own sort of networks around the country, and then 3CR has its own networks, um, particularly in Melbourne. But those roots spread out far and wide as well. So that's 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 a really good point you make about that kind of cross fertilization that. Uh, meeting of linking of mashing together of networks. Yeah, what's what's his job? Was there the, the, the early days being a geezer as I am? The early days of Green Left it, itself, and even in those days, saying, "Well, you bring a newspaper out, everything's um, on the internet now." And at the time, in 1990, I think I just thought, "What's what's this internet?" <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, that's that's what where where things headed pretty pretty quickly soon after, and, and Green Left was pretty pretty um, quick to get into that. As well, but um, you know, I, I think a nice uh, print uh, content is, is good to hold in your hands and read. But the, but having that having that good progressive lefty content in different forms and accessible really reinforces the message to the people we want to get it to. But also helps form the links between the people producing it. That's one thing I thought was really important. The one reason I was keen on it initially, I'd done a bit of student radio a while before that. Uh, in the 90s when I was at uni on um, 2SCR in Sydney, which is um, it, it's a, a unique thing. It's, a bit, it's got a little bigger reach than other community radio. Um, and it's not a, not a, you know, it doesn't fly the red flag or anything. It's got a range of stuff on it. But it was a great experience for me, meeting people and, and forming some links. So when the opportunity came up for a Green Left uh, show on... on um, CCR. I thought it was a great idea and, and I'm really glad I wasn't able to keep it being a wage slave parent as I am. Wasn't able to keep up getting up in the morning and, and presenting very long, but yeah, really pleased you've, you've um, got comrades have powered through and um, they're still going strong. 
Yeah. And uh, a couple of years ago, you also helped with the um, the launch gig that we did. And uh, just uh, remind us uh, about that uh, that gig. That was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that, that was pretty early days as well. So I think that would have been the first radio time in, after we formally joined the station in 2015. So, yeah, we wanted to make a bit of a, a splash and uh, make a, you know, regular good contribution to the station itself. So we got a few friends on board, which included the mighty Ezekiel Ox, who's a huge fixture of the left scene in Melbourne, although he's um, in Newcastle now, I understand. Um, Ray Pereira, the great percussionist, who's been around left for a long time. Um, the reggae band Pressure Drop, who are a great bunch of guys as well. Ali McKeach, the um, First Nations artist and rapper and all-around great guy. And um, am I forgetting anyone else? I think that was it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that, that was a great night and that was a great experience as well and something, you know, we, we try and do as much as, as we can. We can bring a bit of fun and, and culture into into the left and another way of bringing people together. So that's, yeah, that's something we can, we can hopefully keep going, um, going as well with collaboration, people at 3CR, whoever we can get involved. Heck yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, we've got a couple of announcements, so we might, um, love you and leave you, Nick, but thanks for, um, ringing in this morning and yeah, checking in about the, the start of this latest chapter of Green Left Radio. Thanks. Yeah, no worries. And, and, <laughs> all right, everyone, uh, join up and, and cough up your dough and support the station. Can okay, nice. Great. Right. Thanks, Nick. Thanks again, Nick. <laughs> all right. All right. Well. See you later. Bye. Thanks. And one other quick little, uh, would you mind if I just add an extra little thing about the role of community radio, programs like Green Left Radio, but other programs on community radio as well, because um, I've lived in a few cities with community radio stations and when I was an early political activist in Brisbane and the community radio station up there was four triple Z at the time and there was a big strike happening, the Sequeb workers strike where the Bielke Pedersen had uh, sacked 1,100 um, electricity lines workers and we had these snap pickets, roving pickets different um, sites every day and the cops, I mean this is all pre-internet, the cops couldn't work out how so many people on the, in the Melbourne scene, in the Brisbane scene as it was, um, were turning up to these picket lines. Um, and actually, 4ZZZ played a, a critical role. I mean, of course, that's pre-internet as well. But, like, I think that is the role that community radio, whether it's 4ZZZ in Brisbane or 2SER in Sydney or 2XX in Canberra or 3CR in Melbourne or Pulse Radio in Geelong, yeah. that's the sort of role that community radio can play in really helping to build and coordinate and uh, activate movements. All right. Um, we have got a couple more um, announcements too. Um, thank you very, very much to Chris Peterson. He has quite generously chucked in... 200 bucks. Yeah! 200. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, we've also got $100 from Luke Van Halen. So 
Thank you very much, Luke, for chucking in. And And $30 from Rachel Evans, who um, is involved with Green Left and Socialist Alliance in Sydney. Ah, yes. Uh, 30 bucks from Rach Evans. Thank you, Rach. Cool. Um, Okay. So that means that this morning we have so far raised... $805 $805 of our tally, and we've only got 195 bucks to go. So if you're uh, if you're sitting there, you're thinking about ringing in, there's only five minutes to go, so now's the time to pick up, pick up the dog and bone and uh, give us a buzz. But yes, thank you very, very much to everyone who has thus far rung in, chipped in, and helped us to raise 805 bucks. It's very appreciated. Um, oh, and then there's another one there. A text has come in, 25 bucks for Green Left Weekly Breakfast. Sorry, it's not a million bucks. Important combos you don't hear anywhere else. So thank you very much to that person who was text in. Uh, m- muchly appreciated. Um, so, yes, we're getting close to the tail end of the show. Um, I was keen to just give a little news update. Um, the uh, ceasefire in Gaza has been broken. Um, I think there was a series of fire-carrying balloons um, sent across the border from Gaza and uh, Israel responded to these fiery balloons by absolutely uh, bombing the crap out of the Gaza Strip again. Um, the, um, the latest round of violence was prompted by a parade of Israeli ultra-nationalists uh, having a parade through um, East Jerusalem, which is um, Palestinian uh, land, uh, Palestinians saw the march as a provocation and some people in Palestine, given the context of recent um, massive violence and the ongoing grinding, crushing, conquering of their land, have um, sent some of these fire balloons across the border. Um, the airstrikes, um, yeah, were... Um, Pretty full on. So, yes, Sue, what's... And that Jerusalem march, because that's what really prompted these um, fire balloons, um, that Jerusalem march is very similar to the orange marches in Northern Ireland. Mm. So this is... Um, these are like conquerors' marches, like celebration, like the orange marches in Northern Ireland are celebrations by the really ultra-right of the Protestant community saying that, you know, we managed to conquer Ireland in the, whenever it was, the 1600s or whatever it was with some English king. Well, the Jerusalem marches are similar. It's celebrating the conquering and the expulsion of the Palestinians from their land. So these are not just like ordinary little protest marches of some 
kind. They're, these are, you know, this is like the Nazis marching through an area saying, you know, after, during World War Two, mm, saying we, with, or... you know, celebrating the occupation. Uh, it's um, so these are pro- these marches are provocations, mm. and and they also lead to violence because. Um, as well as the bombing of Gaza in, in, um, recent times over the last month, um, there have been, um, rallying cries by the ultra right in Israel for attacks on Palestinians in Palestinian towns and villages within Israel. So, yeah, this mm. is real provocation. Yes. So, uh, yeah, keep your eyes out for upcoming, um, protests. In Melbourne to uh, yeah support the Palestinian people. All right, we are getting um, to the very end of the show. Um, thank you so much to everyone who has called in and donated. If you haven't donated to our show but you're a regular 3CR listener and you're listening to other shows, please do. Uh, it's not too late. You can still ring in right now or you can ring in during one of the other shows or you can go to the website and donate and keep 3CR kicking along. All right, well, that brings uh, our episode to an end. Uh, but yes, $805 raised. Very, um, very happy with that. Very, um, very grateful to everyone who's chucked in. And uh, yeah, we're going to call it a week. So um, thank you very much, Sue, for coming in this week and, uh, and joining us. And yeah, I should have mentioned Jacob, our um, regular co-host, was... Um, uh, had to get a COVID test because he was at an exposure site, so he wasn't able to make it today. But yeah, uh, shout out to Jacob and uh, also to uh, Gab for operating the phone lines this morning. All right, that's us. Au revoir. See you next week. <laughs>